Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know that the readings for a given Sunday put together many, many years ago, and they usually share the same theme. You heard in the Psalm and in the Old Testament a cry to God because of conflict in someone's life. You heard conflict in the gospel lesson among the Gentiles, who's, uh, the, among the uh, disciples, who's the greatest. And that brings us to James chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read for you. We're going to talk about conflict. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pastor James has been teaching us the importance of living out our faith in words and actions. And if ever there is a practical use for our faith... It's in how we as Christians deal with conflict. You're going to have conflict in a sinful and fallen world where Satan's the father of lies and thus the father of conflict. He would love to get everybody mad at each other. You're going to find yourself sooner or later dealing with conflict. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to fail. Somebody's going to misunderstand. Somebody's going to get bitter. Somebody's going to get angry. It's going to happen. And what Pastor James is going to lay out for us is really that there are only two options. Option number one is 
worldly conflict. Option number two is godly conflict. And he doesn't give us a third option, no conflict. So the question is, what do we do with conflict? And why should we listen to James? First, because he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, we just sang about. And second, because he speaks from deep, profound, personal experience. He, as the younger half-brother of Jesus, would have seen all the conflict in Jesus' life. He would have seen people who opposed Jesus, who mistreated him, who slandered him, who ultimately arrested him and crucified him. And he saw worldly conflict launched on his big brother Jesus, and then he saw Jesus respond in a perfect, gracious, godly, truthful, helpful way. James himself is aware of conflict. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. It's kind of like the mothership. It's very influential. Anytime there's a doctrinal controversy in the early church, people come to Jerusalem to hammer it out. Anytime they need to deal with a rogue pastor or leader at one of the churches, the issue gets dealt with, taken care of, at Jerusalem. That's why Paul and others traveled to Jerusalem to meet with James and Peter to talk about contentious issues, practices, and ministry plans. Even today, Jerusalem is one of the most conflicted places on the earth, and it's been that way for a very long time. And there's James, pastoring a church of Christians in the middle of what was predominantly Jewish city, and there's a ton of conflict. And what's interesting is James ultimately would die because of conflict. History tells us, yes, he was a pastor. There were some who really rose up against him. They wanted to stop him preaching and teaching about Jesus. And ultimately, a mob got together, and they took James, and they seized him, and they took him up to the top of the temple, according to history, and they threw him off the roof. But he didn't die. So the mob circled him, stoned him, and then beat him with a club, and then he died. James may have been remembering the story we heard read earlier in the gospel, and the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them when he penned these words. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a question for all of us. How many of you have ever asked, why are they fighting? Maybe you see a couple and they're fighting. Why are they fighting? Why are they adversaries? You see a family that's fractured, conflicted, and separated. You're asking, what happened there? You see people who used to be business partners, all of a sudden there's contention. You see people who were friends, all of a sudden they're enemies. And you ask the question, what causes that? And James is going to answer the question, what causes the fights and quarrels? What's underlining it all? What's the root cause? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, before there's a problem out there between two people, there's a problem in here. You want something, but don't get it, so you kill. Not always literally, but hurt and harm our neighbor, often using our words, right? 
and conflict unresolved escalates toward injury, even death of a relationship. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, he says. You do not have because you do not ask God. And he continues, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. There's a rebuke from Pastor James. Don't you know that friendship with the world's hatred toward God? Anyone chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So what he's talking about here is worldly conflict. Worldly. And just a simple definition is when things are put together the way that Satan likes. That's worldly. That's all it means. It means that things are put together, organized, brought together in a way that causes Satan to be glad and Jesus to grieve. Worldliness. And it's our natural tendency to be worldly because we're part of the world and it is sinful. So our desires, our tendencies, worldliness, it's how everybody thinks, how everybody acts, how everybody travels these well-worn ruts that are in the road very easy to fall into them, very hard to get out of them. He's talking about our sinful, selfish nature, which is worldly. And that's then how it deals with conflict. And in James 1 and 2, 4, 1 and 2, he says, conflict begins with desires and passions. So your emotions become untethered. You're hurt, you're angry, you're upset, you're frustrated, you're scared. Okay, so you start reacting, you start responding. I've done this, you've done that, we've all done this. And it starts internally and it starts with our emotional life becoming unhealthy, untethered, and unhelpful. And then you combine that with coveting. We see someone or some group of people and the essence of coveting, coveting is we want what he, that's what he says, we want what they have. He says you forgot to ask God for it. Worldly conflict, no God in the picture. If you want whatever they have, you shouldn't covet them, you should ask God. And then he says sometimes we get frustrated because we do ask God, and he says... No. So actually, what then looks like a conflict between two people is actually a conflict between them and God. And then it explodes outside of us in something that he calls, James calls, fighting and quarreling. One way that we contribute to fighting and quarreling is by questioning the motives of others. Do you ever do that? We can see people's actions, and sometimes we like to guess at their motives. We contribute to the conflict by speculating. We know part of the story, we can see that, and we feel free 
to write the rest of the story. Sometimes the quarreling is escalated by exaggerating. Did you ever do that? Well, that did happen, but actually you added a little bit more. You put some things in there that weren't entirely true. So you took what was true and then you caused it to be something that was not entirely accurate. People love to exaggerate to build their case. Sometimes we contribute to the quarreling through half-truths. We tell half of the story, not the whole story. And I don't know about you, I think we're all prone to this. If it makes me look bad, those tend to be the facts that I conveniently overlook or omit in the story. In addition, what contributes to fighting and quarreling is gossip. This is where we talk about someone rather than to someone. What we're looking for are people to join our side in the fight, not trying to reconcile, but to win the argument. And all of this comes together, and I'd submit to you, in a digital age, oh my goodness, conflict is complicated. Worldly conflict. And all you have to do is just read the news, open half an ear, and you say, yep, that's exactly what James is talking about. All we see today, worldly conflict, nobody wins, everybody loses, Satan dances, and Jesus weeps. Whoever wishes to be a friend to the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. So what he's saying is if we decide to deal with our conflict in a worldly way, without God in the picture, we think we're fighting our enemy, but we're really fighting God. Because God doesn't want us to be fighting. Or if we're fighting, he doesn't want us to be fighting like that. Throwing spears at each other. The Lord Jesus goes to the cross. You saw the picture. He dies for the sins, and they spear him so that there can be peace and reconciliation instead of worldly conflict. Worldly conflict is where people spear one another and don't rejoice in the fact that Jesus was speared for both of them. So they keep spearing one another, and the result is they forget that Jesus said, hey, it's finished. I finished it for you. See, that's worldly conflict. It doesn't have Jesus in the picture. Are you guilty of fighting in this way? Are there people in your life who are guilty in dealing with conflict in this way? Does your sinful nature only care about you being right and winning an argument and cares nothing about the person you are arguing with. Now, is there an option to worldly conflict? Is there a better way? And there is. And before I get into godly conflict, I got to talk about what some of you would like, which is the third option, which is no conflict. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
We're all sinners. Everybody we meet is a sinner. We're in a fallen, sinful world. There's going to be conflict. Yes. And some of you, in an effort to not have conflict, what you will do is you'll retreat and you'll isolate and you'll say, you know, if I don't have relationships, then I won't have conflict. And this is where people grow up in a home and they see their parents fighting all the time and then they never want to get married and they don't want to have a family. This is where someone feels betrayed by a close friend. So they realize, you know what? Friendship equals conflict equals pain. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to retreat. I don't want to be hurt. The result is we withdraw emotionally. We withdraw relationally. This is where someone was hurt in a church and all of a sudden they leave and they never go to church again. The only way to avoid conflict is to avoid relationships. That's what they think. But part of the cost of a relationship is conflict. This is true with co-workers. This is true with spouses. This is true with friends. It's true with people in your circles and groups. It's inevitable. And the more relationships you have, the more conflict you're likely to have. And worldly conflict is natural. It's the default. It's the well-worn rut in the road. Godly conflict is hard because you're not only dealing with another sinful human being, but in godly conflict, guess what else you're dealing with? Your own sinful self. And that's the big difference. God is so good that he helps us deal with our sinful nature, which helps us deal with others. Here's what James says about godly conflict. Do you think scripture says without reason, it's not a direct quote of scripture here, but he's pulling a theme from scripture. Do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Scripture says, he's quoting Proverbs written by Solomon, most of them. Peter also put this verse in his letter. Jesus talks about humility and pride lots. It's a major teaching of the Bible. It's a great verse to put on your fridge. James 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. A lot of people who have worldly conflict not only forget to ask God for what they want, but they also forget that there's a devil and really our fight is against principalities and powers, the devil, which he says we, he will free us from. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I'm going to talk about that more another time. So sometimes if people are having worldly conflict, they're rejoicing, they're celebrating, they're gloating, they're laughing because they won an argument. But God is weeping because his children are fighting. 
When it comes to worldly conflict, Pastor James says it's very simple. You get emotional, frustrated with somebody, they have something that you want, and so you go to war to get it. Now, is this how you want to live? Is this how God wants you to live? Verse 5. Let's talk about godly conflict. He's going to give us a lot more things to enjoy, appreciate, and examine when it comes to godly conflict. He's going to say, first of all, the Holy Spirit is in you. Whew. That's the language he uses. The Spirit he caused to live in us. We don't need to just be governed by our emotions. We can be governed by the indwelling person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. That's incredibly good news. I've got something working in me that is going to help me with my own worst enemy, my sinful nature. If you look at the life of Jesus and you ask, how did he do it? He had a ton of conflict. Some of it was private. Some of it was public. Some of it was one person. Some of it was a mob. How did Jesus have godly conflict? And the answer, you just read the Gospels, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what this means is when our passions are flaming and we're emotional, whatever the case may be, we need to remember the Holy Spirit is in us and we need to invite and ask the Holy Spirit to govern our emotions and govern our reactions. Spirit of gentleness, Lord, reign in me. The second thing that he says is that God's gracious. He gives more grace in the midst of a conflict. He gives more grace. We don't even think of that when we're in the middle of a fight. What happens in worldly conflict? It's not the Holy Spirit who's in charge. Therefore, grace is not present. But it says he gives more grace when we need it the most. In dealing with sinful people, he gives more grace. When people are having a conflict, they want grace, but they're not prone to give grace. So God gives us grace. So we can give grace to others. The Holy Spirit, the grace giver, dwells in us. And that's why the scripture says in Proverbs, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Worldly conflict is marked by pride. And godly conflict is marked by humility. Talking about that more another time. I'll leave that for a couple weeks. But here's what I want you to consider. One of the best things you can do for the sake of the gospel, one of the best witnesses you can give, one of the most loving things you can do for someone else is love them like God has loved you. Amen? Amen. We all agree with that. Let me add, especially in the midst of a conflict. Hmm. Yep. Especially in the midst of a conflict. To me, this is what is going to separate the followers of Jesus from the rest of the world. 
And it's going to show up most prominently in how you are towards others, especially when you are in conflict with them. It's easy to love those who agree with you. Not so easy to love those who don't. But that is precisely what God calls you and I to do. James has got some good words for us. So does Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who here is in Christ? You're in Christ? I hope so. He is a new creation. The old has gone. That's worldly conflict. It's gone. The new has come. Godly conflict. Humility. Peacemaking. All this is from God who, look at the word, reconciled us to himself through Christ. Dare I say, but sometimes in the midst of a conflict or an argument, we forget the length that God went to reconcile us to himself. And God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying that all of us were once in conflict with God. Our relationship with God was broken, but God sent his son Jesus to this earth to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve to die, to take all our punishment on himself so that conflict we had with God because of sin could be resolved. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We've been reconciled to God. And Jesus entered into that conflict and bought our peace with God at the cost of his own life. And no matter what you've done wrong to create that conflict, God does not hold that against us anymore. As far as he's concerned, it's over. I think he even said that. It's finished. And so then Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses. And he does. As we forgive those who trespass against us. We have no business praying that prayer unless we practice. And I sure hope we do because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Did you catch that last phrase? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he gave us. Now we have the privilege of telling others that what Jesus did for us, he did for them too. And furthermore, it means that conflict for us is not an accident. It's an assignment from God, an opportunity to do ministry of reconciliation. It's an opportunity for us to show others the difference that the grace of God, Jesus Christ himself, and his reconciliation makes in our lives. It makes all the difference in the world. If you really want to show others your faith, which is what James is all about, you will do it in your actions and in your words and how you deal with conflict. You will love others who are in conflict with you the way God loves you. Humble, 
gracious, truthful, kind, caring, and loving. In a world full of fighting, our Lord Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. I pray that everybody who hears this message, I pray that it might be so in your life that you are known as a peacemaker. Amen.